Amen. If you were here last week, uh, we continued in summer in the Psalm series, and uh, we kind of talked about the way. And talking about the way, uh, here's what we said last week, was that in life, there's a deep connection between what we want to do and what we actually do. What we want to do and what we actually do. Have you ever been in one of those conversations and um, all of a sudden, you know, somebody kind of turns and says the phrase to you, it's not what you said, it's, yeah, all right, or the way you said it. It's not what you were saying, it's not the words that were, Dean has no clue what I'm talking about right here. He's like, I don't know, that wasn't me, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's not how you, it's not what you said, rather, it's the way you said it. It's not always what we want to communicate. It's not always where we want to be, but rather it's often an issue of how we get there. It's the way that we arrive at the place where we want to be. In other words, the way it matters. And any of us in the room who are married, we absolutely know that to be true. The way we say something, the way that we do something, it matters. And so we have this tension between where we want to be or what we want to do and then what we actually do or what actually happens. And so there's, there's this disparity there and we've all experienced that for ourselves. Maybe a point in time when someone has committed something to you and they said they were going to come through and they were going to be there and then they didn't show up. And it just wasn't the way that you thought that was going to happen. Or we find ourselves at a place in life oftentimes where uh, in our marriage, it's not the way we thought it was going to be. Or as a father, as a spouse, as an employee, as a human being, as a friend, we just don't always do things the way that we wanted to do them. And so we have this idea in mind, and the reality is that, that for most of us in here, no matter uh, what age we are, no matter our uh, our race, no matter our religious background, whether we have a lot of money, a little money, there are some things in life that most of us actually want. But we have this, this idea for most of us of the what, okay? So I want internal peace with myself and others and God maybe in life. That's something that many of us want for ourselves. We want to be confident in, in knowing who we are. We want to have deep and meaningful relationships with other people where we can connect on an intimate level and they trust us and we trust them and they know the real us and love us anyway. And they love us more in spite of the fact that they see all of our failures and flaws and shortcomings. We all want those kind of relationships in life. We want to be able to make decisions in the way that we live our daily lives that actually lead us to a place where we want to be. And we're not looking back on our life with regret and despair and why did I do that and I should have known better. These are some things that we all want in life. We want to have meaning and purpose and know that our life counts and that we're adding value to the lives of those around us and the world as a whole. And so we know we know the what, but oftentimes we don't know the how. I, I know where I want to be. I know how I want things to be, but I don't know the how. And so we looked last week at Psalms 119, which is the longest psalm in the whole book. And it's twice as long as the second longest psalm found in Psalms. And the reason is because this particular psalm has everything to do with the way that we live life. We all know the hows, we all know what we, or, or we all know the what's, 
but we don't all know the hows. We don't know how to get there. And so Psalm 119, if I could be so presumptuous to sum it up in a sentence, of course, I'm leaving things out. Of course, this, all, this isn't all inclusive here. But in general terms, Psalm 119 basically has the same theme over and over and over again. And it communicates this. And I wonder if it's the longest psalm because it is maybe the hardest thing for us to do or grasp because it's so easy to go in another way. So if I were to sum this up in one phrase, it's because you have all of my heart. This is what the writer of Psalms was trying to communicate to God. And so King David was the one who wrote this. And it's because you have all of my heart, all of my ways are yours and when all of my ways are are yours all of my ways are blessed see there's a proper order here that he's laying out and it's found all throughout scripture and certainly all throughout psalm 119 you have my whole heart and because you have my heart first you now have all of my ways and in return what is produced out of a heart that is all his and a heart that says all of my ways are yours now all of my ways are blessed because his ways lead to the way of blessing his ways lead toward the production of good things in our lives the results of the good things in life that we actually all want because we have these des- desires within us that are within us, but they did not come from us. There are things that we have never experienced like perfect peace. None of us have ever experienced perfect peace in our life, and yet we all want peace. So how can we want something that we've never actually experienced? Because it's from God. It's something that he wants to provide to us. All of us want a completely healthy and thriving and vibrant relationship absent of hurt and fear and shame and guilt in the context of a relationship with someone else and yet none of us have ever experienced that type of relationship to its fullness so how is it that we want that but yet we're wanting something that we've never actually experienced before why because God put it there There is a way in which he designed things to operate and we know the what. We know what we're trying to get to, but we often get lost in the how. And so David is laying this out for us and he's saying, when God has all of our hearts and in return we give him all of our ways, he gives back to us the life of blessing the life that he intended for us all along, and we can experience something from him that is outside of ourselves, our circumstances, and all the things that come our way in life. So we're going to open up with Psalm 119 there, and I'm not going to visit another psalm until the end of the message. All right, I know it's summer in the psalms, but just hang on, all right? So we're going to go back to James this week and basically pick up where we left off last week. And James starts in John, or in James, John, James wrote the book of John. No, that doesn't make sense. All right, in the book of James, here's what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now think about that. Think about your week. Think about yesterday, the last seven days since you sat in a pew here, last Sunday morning. Has anyone in here experienced trials of many kinds? 
Has anyone experienced conversations of many kinds that did not go the way you thought those conversations were going to go? Have we experienced moments where people disagreed with us and they pushed against us and it created a conflict, a disparity of where they are and where we are, and it was a trial? Has anyone experienced a, a text message that they would have hoped they would have never received this week? Have any of us experienced trials of many kinds? They are daily. These happen all the time. In fact, in our journey toward what we all know we want, it feels like there's a football player on the other side of a pad that is pushing resistance. You ever seen that like in practice, right? You got one player holding the pad and they're constantly pushing against you and you're trying to push through it and that feels a lot like life. It's the trials of many kinds. It's the constant pushing against. It's the resistance. It's the feelings of fear. It's the feelings of anxiety. It's the feelings of depression. It's the thoughts of self-doubt. It's the things other people do and say that come against us and it leaves us feeling like, I'm not sure I can get to where I actually want to be. I don't know how to get there. But he says somehow we're supposed to take joy in this. We're supposed to take joy in these trials of many kinds. Why? Because the testing of our faith, the testing of our faith produces perseverance. What is the testing? It is testing our fidelity or our authenticity, the real nature of our faith or our conviction in our beliefs that the ways of Jesus are the ways to live, the ways to life. And so he's talking about a faith that produces something different than what is actually produced in most of us when we face trials of many kinds. When I'm facing trials of many kinds, often what is being produced in me is anger in return. Often when I face trials of many kinds, what's being produced in me is frustration toward the people who think differently than I do. What's often produced in me when I face financial trials of many kinds is fear of what will happen and how will I provide. When I face trials of many kinds, I often feel insecure the minute someone disagrees with me and I start to question and self-doubt and am I really okay with myself knowing that someone else is not okay with me. When I face trials of many kinds, anything but perseverance at times is produced. But he says, when you have the kind of faith that I'm laying out for you in this book, and the entire book of James is talking about the kind of faith that can actually save you, not the kind of faith that gets us to church on a Sunday morning, because we believe in an idea and a theology and a method and a plan and a religion and a system that somehow makes us right with God. No, the faith that can actually do something transformative in your life that literally saves you where you were once on a road toward death and destruction and now we're on a road toward life. That kind of faith is what James is talking about. And when we have that kind of faith, it does not produce anger and fear and frustration and toil and strife and fretting and biting my nails and worrying. It does not produce that kind of result, but rather it produces perseverance. So he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, 
whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The kind of faith I'm talking about produces perseverance. What is perseverance? It's steadfast consistency. When you go back and you, you look at that word and what it means, it's steadfast consistency. When I think about the results of my life, when I think about the results that come out of the many trials, would they be defined by steadfast consistency? What if, what if someone were to come and ask my wife, hey, would Nathan be de defined by steadfast consistency? What if someone were to ask your spouse, hey, would your spouse be defined as steadfast and consistent or you never know what you're going to get when you get home? You never know if you can fully be honest because you don't know what's coming next. You don't know if you can actually have intimate relationship with one another because the trust has been broken there and it's not steadfast or consistent at all. What if someone were to call all of my, my tribe of kids in here, five of them, Would you find the descriptors that they would use about their dad being more closely related to unstable and wavering or consistent and steadfast? What about people on the other end of a disagreement? Would they say that you are steadfast and consistent even when someone disagrees with you and you disagree with them? Or would they say you're more likely to fly off the handle? What about when we're faced with feelings that we don't know quite what to do with or how to handle? Do we remain steadfast and stable? Or do we go to the next quick fix to try to make ourselves feel better? And so we go buy something. We go watch something. We go back to our addiction of choice and take another drink. Go to another high. Watch another video. Scroll and numb ourselves out to everything else in the world so that we can forget about ours. What are these trials of many kinds producing in your life and mine? It's producing something. It's producing some fruit. Is it bad fruit? Is it good fruit? Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7. And he said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Jesus was very deep and theological like that. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He's explaining to his followers, to those that he's teaching, there are things that are going to come your way, and there are people who are going to have a version of faith that's not really the kind of faith that I came to reform at all. It's a faith in a system, in an idea, in a way of living that actually does not produce the good fruit that I am calling you, my disciples, you, my followers, to produce in your life. See, a bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. And a good tree is going to produce good fruit. And so you will know the results. And let's make this personal. You and I will know the results of our life. Or you, will, you and I will know where we stand by the results of our life. What are we producing? 
what fruit are we producing? James says it like this, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. It's through the deeds, it's through the fruit, it's through the outcomes, it's through what I produce in my life that reveals where my faith really is. It's the kind of faith that James is talking about, the kind of faith that will actually save us. The kind of faith that will actually change us from the inside out. That's the kind of faith that produces a life of good deeds and good works and good things. So what is fruit? It's a very deep and intellectual definition. And it's that which comes from. That which comes from. It's an effect. There's a cause and an effect. It's a result. The fruit in our life is the result of something else. So what do we do? Most of us, most of us, when we hear messages like last week, or maybe your mind has even gone down this road since I've been talking thus far, the most tempting thing for us to do is make ourselves a cover or make ourselves a villain. What do I mean by that? The very first thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden when they stepped outside of the plan and the ways of God that he had set out before them, the very first thing they did was go into a corner and hide themselves. They covered themselves. They covered themselves. And then God came to them and said, where are you? Which is actually the whole theme of the book of James, which is actually the whole idea of Psalm 119 that we discussed last week. It's look in the mirror. God was not asking the question to Adam and Eve because he did not know where they were. He was asking the question because he wanted them to realize where they were. Where are you? I want you to look in the mirror, Adam and Eve. Where are you? And yet they made themselves a cover. And they made themselves the villain. They felt shame. So they covered themselves up. You may land on more one side than the other, but usually they go together. For me, I land more on the side of shame. Oh, you're so stupid. How could you have done that again? Why did you do that? Don't you remember what you just preached seven days ago? Shame. Guilt. I pile it on. I'm hard on myself. So when we make excuses, or when we make a cover for ourselves, it leads to producing excuses. When we make ourselves a cover, we make excuses. Here's what this looks like. We face trials of many kinds. The stress comes our way, the tension comes our way, the resistance comes our way. And on the other side, the fruit that we produce is anger, frustration, I'm tense, I'm anxious, I'm doubtful, I'm troubled, I'm in despair. That's what it produces in my life. But when we cover ourselves, we take ourselves out of the equation so that we can point right back around at the circumstance and we can say that this problem made me do this. This problem re reproduced and produced the fruit of this action in my life. And we bypass ourselves because we're covered in our own shame, our own guilt, whatever. 
We say, well, if I, if I could just fix this and I forget, if I could get this all in, in the right order and I can make my checklist, I can make my system, I can change my habit, I can change the circumstance, I can change that person, I can control what these people are doing. As long as I can do that, then I can get back to the good fruit in my life. And we totally take ourselves out of that equation. But the whole purpose of this is for us to look in the mirror. It's not about the circumstance. What he wants to do is produce good life in spite of the circumstance. Even though things are not going my way, even though I'm facing trials of many kinds, I can still produce good fruit because it's about who I am, not what happens to me. So when we make ourselves a cover, it produces excuses. When we are making ourselves the villain, it produces shame. When we make ourselves out to be the villain, it produces shame. And here's the reality of both of those things is that they're both rooted in ourselves. They're both rooted in pride. They're both rooted in arrogance. The conclusion of this is that what we produce hinges on us. I've got to get out of my shame. I've got to make sure that I can feel better about myself. I better go do some good things. I better start, I got to implement some new routines. I got to implement some new systems. I got I to gotta change the way that I'm doing this so that everything looks okay and it can hold together. I've got to get all these things in place so that I can come around here and maybe I can experience some good fruit. But then what happens is as soon as we fix one thing, another thing comes our way. Another trial of many kinds comes my way. And I believe what Jesus would want to offer us today is a way to draw strength from something outside of ourselves, a way to draw strength from him and not ourselves, a way to live life where we are powered and we are sourced by him and not by our circumstances being in order. It's, Father, you, you have my whole heart and because you have my whole heart, you have all of my ways and then I experience the good fruit in my life. James continues, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, this word wisdom is a godly wisdom, a godly knowledge, something that does not come from this world, and it's something that this world can't understand. Other places that, that talk about this, talk about how the, the things that are foolish to the world are wise to God and the things that are wise to the world will be foolishness to God. It, it's upside down, it's backwards, it's counterintuitive, it's not the way you think it is. He said, if you, if you want the kind of wisdom that can give you the power and the ability to respond to other people with kindness when they're treating you with hatred, here's what I want you to do. Count to 10, really, really slow, before you get angry with them, no? If, if you want that kind of wisdom and the kind of life that is only able to be lived the way that I'm laying out for you, I want you to ask me for it. And so on one hand, we're trying to fix everything over here. We're trying to do it our own way. We're trying to make things 
in the proper order so that they produce the proper outcome and, and we have good results in our life. He said, no, I want you to do it a totally different way than that. I want you to ask me for this wisdom and I will give you this wisdom. And now when all these trials come your way, you're going to know what to do with them. When these things come your way, you're going to know how to stand when you want to fall down. When trials come your way, you're going to know how to have strength when you feel like you're weak on the inside. When trials come your way, I'm going to give you peace that supersedes all the understanding of what you see in front of you. When trials come your way, I'm going to give you the faith that allows you to hope for the good fruit even though you can't see it with your own eyes. You can see it in the Spirit because you're living by my Spirit and I'm sourcing you and I'm giving it to you and you're operating in a system that is outside of yourself and when we do that, we produce good fruit. So if any of you lacks what you need to actually be well and survive in this life, I want you to ask. And I'm going to give it to you, and I'm not just going to give it to you, but I am going to give it to you generously, without finding fault. Without finding fault. You mean I don't have to bring my shame with me? God, I'm so horrible. I did it again. Awful. I messed it up. How could you ever love me? You must be so tired of me coming to you again and again and again. You must be running out of patience. If God runs out of patience, he's not God. If God's day is completely thrown off because I didn't measure up and please him in all the right ways, he's not God anymore. I do not have the power to dictate God's state of mind and his being. He's God. He's not holding fault against you. You don't need to cover yourself anymore. You don't need to have the shame anymore and the guilt. Just stand before me, look in the mirror, know where you are and ask me and I'll give it to you. I will give you a source that is outside of yourself that you didn't even know was possible. It is not the way everyone else says to do it. It is not the easy way. It is not the normal way. It is not the way that feels good, but it is the way that leads to good fruit in our lives. It is the way that leads to the kind of fruit and the kind of faith that James talks about that can actually save you. So he says in James chapter 3, who is wise and understanding among you? Who are these ones who have actually found out that when you ask me for wisdom, you ask me for the godly understanding, you ask me for my ways, I give them to you. How do you know those people apart from the others who are only experiencing the kind of religion or the kind of faith that shows up on Sunday but does not change my life on Monday? How do we divide the people who think that it's all about religion and doing the right things? And I guess I'll just keep trying this church thing. But yet we do not rely on his power and his source and his strength to get us the outcomes in life that he designed for us all along. How do we know the difference? Who is wise and understanding among you? Look around. It's the ones who show it by their good life and their deeds. It's the ones who show it in every area of their life my good life and by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom see the way matters we all know the what what we want but the way the way matters the way we do life matters are we doing life his way or are we doing life our own way. In just about every single one of the Apostle Paul's writing, he, 
he goes and he, he starts all of these churches in all these different places. And as he goes from one place to another, he writes letters to the last church and he continues to disciple them and bring them strength through his words and his knowledge of, of Christ. And he's pastoring these churches and he's doing it through letter form. And so he sends a letter to all these different churches. And in almost every single letter, there's a section where he talks about this very subject. He talks about the ways that we often try to justify ourselves through the law, trying to do everything right so we can get the right outcome. And here's what he says about it when he was writing to the Romans in, Ro in Romans chapter 7. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. If you haven't gotten it yet, if you've missed the point of all of this, here it is. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. You died to the power of the law. We died to the power for the law to dictate and determine our value and our worth and our identity. See, it was once based on all the things that we would do, but now it's something else. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. So not only did he go and conquer all of this stuff, not only did he, he conquer what these trials of many kinds would seek to produce in your life through the flesh and through doing it our own way, he conquered it through raising to life again so that he could live in you and me. The answer for the way is in our connection to Christ. It's in our relationship with him. As a result, now, once, once we've killed that off, I'm no longer trying to justify myself by the law. There was a rich man that came to Jesus one time, and he said, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I figure this out? Because this life, we all know it's messed up, Jesus. And I hear that you're the Messiah. And so you're coming to save us, and you're coming to work this all out, because where there was once eternal life, there is no longer eternal life. Death came into our world, and so forevermore, we're trying to figure out how do we experience life again, because right now it's full of death. Sounds like your life and mine, right? Trouble all around us. So this rich man, he's coming to Jesus, and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I want you to go and give away all your stuff. Why did he do that? He's the only person who, ever, who, who he ever told to go give all of his stuff away. Because it wasn't about the stuff, it was about his heart. He knew he didn't have the man's heart. So he went for the one thing that he knew would keep him from his connection and receiving from God. You cannot receive from two springs. You cannot say, I'm relying on my money. I'm relying on my talent. I'm relying on this relationship. I'm relying on this circumstance to get me through and rely on Christ. It does not work that way. So he said, if you want to experience real eternal life, it's not going to be it's not going to happen as long as you're relying on your money too. So go get all of it away. See, he was trying to fix himself by what he could do. He was trying to justify himself by the law. Another man came to him and said, who is my neighbor after Jesus had just taught to love your neighbor as yourself? So he says, who is my neighbor? Can you point him out to me? I want to go love that guy. He said, no, you're missing the point. Everyone is your neighbor. The point is, I want you to be a neighbor. It's not about what I want you to go and do in being a neighbor. 
It's about who I want you to be. I want you to be a neighbor to everyone else. Jesus always brought it back to the heart. So when we kill that off, when we take that off the table, it is no longer about us living up and measuring up to the law and the way we do things, but it's about us relying on his source. Then, as a result of that, we produce not just good fruit, a harvest of good fruit. That's when we experience those results in our lives. He says, when we were controlled by our old nature, our sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds. When we focus on the law, when we focus on just trying to be good enough, I, I just got to try. See, it takes all the shoulds. How many times have we thought to ourselves, well, I should treat that person differently because I'm a Christian. Well, I, I know I shouldn't act like that. I'm a Christian. It takes all the should do's and supposed to's. I'm supposed to be at church on Sunday. I'm supposed to give in the offering. I'm supposed to not drink and smoke. And I'm supposed to not do all of this stuff. And we give ourselves all of this list of all of this stuff that we're trying to live up to. And I'm supposed to and I should do. That's not the life that we're called to. And he says, if, if you want to live that kind of life, just trying to measure up to the law, there's no use for Christ anymore. Have you ever been in a really big hurry? And so you just kind of grab like whatever it is on the way out the house because you're hungry. And so you grab that like granola bar that has been in the pantry for six months and it's kind of hard and you don't really even like it, but you just got to eat it anyway. That's kind of what it's like. Just trying to, trying to do it. I, I got to eat. I guess I'll eat something. It's completely different when we live out of a place where we have all the time in the world. We have all evening. We have a blank check. We can go wherever we want to eat. Let's just go and we'll sit down and let's enjoy the meal and let's do it. That's the kind of life that he's offering us. Not just trying so hard and I'll just take what I can get and I'll, I'll try to love my wife. I'll try to forgive her again. I'll try not to cuss my boss out next time. I'll try not to honk my horn too long at the bad driver next time. And all of a sudden, there's a shift that happens because I'm being sourced from something else other than just trying to keep the law. I'm being sourced in such a way where it's so much different, where I have experienced for myself the forgiveness and the honor and the love and the mercy and the grace that God has given me in such a deep and profound and meaningful way that I don't get angry the same way anymore. I don't have to tell myself I shouldn't do this because I'm no longer that person that I don't want to the same way that I did before. He continues, but now we have been raised, now we have been released from the law. For we died to it and we are no longer captive to its power. We are no longer captive to the power that the law has in our lives. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law and doing it all right, but in a new way of living by the Spirit, captive to the law. What happens when we live with the law having all of its power in our life? What is power? Power is the ability to determine or direct something. When we give the law the power and the ability to determine and direct our lives, when we give power to the law, we find our value, worth, and our identity in doing good. 
I'm just going to do more good. And as long as we're doing good, our worth and our value and our identity is okay too. I'm all right. I've done, I've done well this week. I managed my temper. I made okay decisions. I even bought my wife flowers. I'm doing some good stuff. And we find our identity in measuring our value, worth, and identity in doing good. But life through the Spirit looks much different. Life being sourced by something outside of myself and what I can do looks much different. When we give power to the Spirit in our lives and we allow Him the ability to guide and direct and determine the course of our life, we find our value, worth, and our identity in knowing we are good. I don't have to try to do good anymore. I am good, and so I am free to love my wife differently than I ever have before. I carry no condemnation or guilt and shame where I feel like I have such little value and worth that I could never admit that I was wrong or that I have a role in this. So now all of a sudden I I am good and so I have the power to say, you know what, I kind of want to cover this up. I kind of just want to carry the guilt and the shame, but but I'm just going to stand out here And I'm going to stand in front of the mirror and say, you know what, I I messed up. And I can say that. And I can apologize to people. And I can be humble before people. And I don't have to look the part anymore because I can be who I am. And I am a son of God. You are a daughter of God. We are those who have found our place and our value and our worth in Him and in Him alone. And when we stand in that place, the results of our life looks different. It's the difference in just doing good and actually being good. It's the difference in living life through the Spirit and doing it His way and living through our own flesh. It's the difference in faith coming first, you have my whole heart, and works coming second, not the other way around. It's the idea of possibility over poverty and lack. I don't have enough. I can't do this. I can't be that kind of person. I can't be that kind of spouse. I can't be that kind of father. I can't be that kind of friend. I can't be the kind of person that has grace for people when they don't deserve any grace. I can't be the kind of person that forgives people who I don't feel like are worthy to be forgiven. I can't be that person. It's the difference. And I don't have enough to do that in knowing that you've already been given more than enough. We've already been given everything that we need to live a life of godliness in Christ. We've already been given everything that we need to live the kind of life he has called us to live. And as Colossians says, we can live worthy of that. And when we see Colossians verses 9 and 10, it says, so we have not stopped praying for you. And this is Paul again writing to another church. When we first heard about you, we asked God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then, then you, then the way you live, the way you live will always honor God and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn and know God better and better. See, when we look at the circumstances of our life, Paul dealt with that too. 
And in one place, he had, he had finally come to grips with the reality that his life was to be found and to be sourced by the Spirit of God. And it brought him all the way to the point where he said, I have learned. I have learned to be content in all things. Meaning when I face trials of many kinds, I've learned to be content in all things because I'm being sourced by Christ. When I'm sourced by Christ, I produce good fruit. When I'm sourced by Christ, even in the face of difficulty, and for Paul, that was being shipwrecked. For Paul, that was being beaten to an inch of his life. For Paul, that was being persecuted and thrown in prison for merely mentioning the name of Christ in certain cities and towns and places. For Paul, his circumstances were many. His trials were many, and yet he learned. And so for any of those who may be feeling guilt and condemnation right now because the fruit of your life, if you were honest and we asked ourselves, which is the question for today, what are the results of my life? What are the results of my marriage? What are the results of my home life? What are the results of the kind of person that other people would say I was when I'm not around? What are the results of the way that I'm living my life? When we come to grips with the results of our life and we find, and we find that we haven't been sourced by Christ at all, we can come to those words that therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I no longer have to cover myself. I no longer have to carry the shame, but I can live free with no condemnation, knowing, knowing that I am growing and learning, as Colossians just said, that I am knowing and learning and I am knowing God better and better. There will be days when we revert and we find ourselves doing it our way. <sighs> Did it my way again. I didn't trust and rely on him. I didn't do it the way that he was offering me. I didn't tap into his wisdom. I didn't ask him for how to handle this. But as we do this, more and more, it says we grow and we learn and we become closer to him and we know God better and better and better and better. I'll be better tomorrow than I was today. I'm gonna grow more tomorrow than I did today. I'm gonna learn more tomorrow than I did today. And we continue to grow and learn and grow and learn. And that's what we do together here as a family, as the family of God. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean everything in life is just going exactly the way that we want it to because we're doing it all right. We're checking all the boxes. No, I stand in a place where I can look in the mirror. I can be honest with myself. I can be honest with God. I know where I am. I know my faults. I know my shortcomings. And I'm relying on Jesus to give me my strength when I'm weak. I'm relying on him to be the source when I'm empty. I'm relying on him to be the answer when I have none. I'm relying on him to come through for me when I know I can't do it for myself. I'm following in his ways and his steps. So back to Psalms. One of the major themes in the book of Psalms is the goodness of God. Over and over and over and over. If you've ever read through the book of Psalms, if you've read through any chapter of Psalms, you're going to find somewhere in there where it talks about the greatness of God. It talks about the mercies of God. It talks about the goodness of God. And so I'm going to share three with you this morning. Psalm 23, 6, it says, Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Well, follow me, what do you mean? I thought we were supposed to follow him. 
I thought we were supposed to follow in his ways. Well, we are, but there are going to be times when his way is this way and we step outside the bounds and we say, well, I'm going my way and we overcorrect and we get, okay, so yeah, I got to do this, right? But he's saying, I have you covered on the front and the back. I'm leading you where to go, but my, surely my goodness and my mercy is going to keep following you all the days of your life. In every argument, in every conversation, in every decision, in every misuse of your time, and every time that you really took advantage of the time, every time that your attitude and your mindset and your behaviors don't seem to line up with where you wanted to go in life, I have you covered from the backside too. Follow me, follow my ways. It's going to produce good fruit, but no worries. I've got you covered from the back too. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house. What is the house? The house is the place that represented the presence of God. And when Jesus came, he made a way. You no longer had to go to a building and a structure to, to experience the presence of God, but his presence lives in us and we are now the house of God. And the house of God and he is with us, his presence is with us, his presence goes before us. By the way, pet peeve of mine, if you are a believer, you follow Christ, you're in a relationship with him, you never, ever, ever, ever have to pray for God to be with you. I think it would be one of the most significant changes and shifts and what we could do as believers if we realize that he is already with us and we even did that in our language. Father, be with us today. Be with us as we eat this food. Father, be with us as we start this service. Be with it. Okay, I get it. Somebody, you know, don't condemn anybody for that. I'm just saying, what if we switch that and we realize he's with us all the time? He can't get any closer to you than living in you. You don't really need to ask him to be with you. The question is, are you asking him for his wisdom. He's there. He wants to give it. He wants to show you his way. He wants to give you his power. He wants to get, are you relying on him or are we lying, relying on ourselves? He's with us. Psalm 145, 9 says, the Lord, he is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This morning, as our communion servers are making their way forward, you guys can go ahead and come forward and prepare for that. I think it's interesting that it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste is not something that we see very often in scripture. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird way to communicate this, but I was thinking back to the story of the Last Supper. And so Jesus was sitting down with them at the dinner table. And no doubt, the conversation was probably pretty heavy. Jesus knew that that very night, they would come to arrest him, accuse him, convict him, beat him, and lead him to his death. I imagine him saying to his disciples that day, for the next few days especially, men, you're going to face some trials of many kinds. You're going to wonder if it's all over. You're going to wonder if you really should have followed me around for the last three and a half years. You're going to wonder what this was all about. People are going to persecute you. People are going to ridicule you. People are going to push against you. You're going to feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders because you claim to have the way, which was me, and I'm going to die. But I want you to remember... And he gave them instruction, as often as you gather, I want you to honor this practice, honor this, what we might call a sacrament of communion. 
Maybe, just maybe, it was as a reminder to taste and see that the Lord is good. Without being weird, could we actually taste the juice and taste the almost flavorless wafer and taste and see that the Lord is good and that his ways are good, his loving kindness is good, his goodness and his mercy will be with me all of the days of my life. And as I experience trials of many kinds, I don't have to wait for my circumstances to change because I can change. I can be made new because of Christ, because he has conquered death and the grave. He has conquered all of the trouble of this world and he has overcome it all. And I can be steadfast and consistent in him. It's good news. It's good news for those today that are hurting. It's good news for those today who feel like your marriage is one step away from everything ending. It's good news for those today that feel like you're just failing on all sides. It's good news for those who feel the guilt and the shame and the condemnation on their life because you know where you've been. And when you look in the mirror, you don't even like what you see. It's good news because that guilt and that shame is gone. The old life of how you handled the conflict and how you handled the situation, how you treated one another, it's gone. Today is a new day and living by the law is dead. And when we rely on him as our source, we are super powered to live life different to produce good in our life. So, am I experiencing good? If we're not experiencing good, maybe we're not connected to the kind of faith that will save you. So in this moment, while many will receive for the 10th time, the 100th time, the 1,000th time, maybe there's somebody in this room that for the very first time, you are going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe this morning you came and it's a moment where you are deciding and choosing. I'm going to give you my whole heart. And when you have my whole heart, you have all of my ways. And we will get to live in the ashes being turned to beauty. The pain being turned to progress. Trouble of life that once produced anything but good in our life can now produce the good because of Him. Father, we thank you for this moment. I pray for every single person who's in here. I pray for maybe the one, two, three, four people that have never accepted you as their true Savior, who have never said, I want to do life your way, who have never said, I, I want forgiveness for the way that I've been trying to live life on my own. I pray for that person that they would just say that prayer, even in their own heart, in their own mind, and know that you are listening. You are right here with them. You are here in this moment that they would come to you, that they would run to you knowing there is no other way. And I've tried it every other way. I've tried to do it all the other ways. I've tried to do it on my own, and it just doesn't work. It's just not producing the results in my life, and I want you, Jesus. I pray that that would be real for them. For those of us in this room who are followers of you, but we're just really just trying to figure life out on our own and we come to church and we're a part of the system and we're doing the thing and we're doing the right stuff. I pray that in this moment, as soon as we taste and see that you are good, that we would be rejuvenated, we would be renewed, we would be transformed in our heart where we are not just doing good, but we realize we are good because of you. We thank you for this moment. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to the table. For those of you who choose to sit in your seat and receive communion, but will you taste and see that the Lord, He is good.